Hey everybody, I just want to give a quick note before getting into this episode that this is an episode where we talk about some really deep stuff, specifically around PTSD and the war. So I just want to go ahead, if you have anybody that might be triggered by that, or if you have any little ears and little kids around, this is not the episode for you to play out where others can hear, but... This is an episode I do want you to hear because it has such powerful messaging and Sean is such an amazing person to come out and to speak so openly about his ghost and that he's not sorry for talking about him. So with that said, let's get into it. This this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Hey everybody, we are live for another Unapologetically Bold I'm Not Sorry For, and I'm blessed today to have Sean with me. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on. So for the people that do not know who you are, Sean, just give them a little background. Uh, Well, my name is Sean Ambries. I've been in the military for 12 years now. As a military policeman, I have served two tours in Afghanistan. Uh, my first one was, I mean, both as a military policeman, but my first one was as a medic. I got kind of thrown into that role. And then my second was as a designated squad marksman, kind of got thrown into that role as well. Um, and then now I'm currently serving at Fort Leonard, Missouri, where I teach the military police senior leaders course as an instructor. So we're just going to hop right on into this. Yeah. And the show's called Unapologetically Bold. So, Sean, what are you not sorry for? Um, I guess uh, just who I am as a leader uh, in the military, uh, at, at who I am as a person. Um, I know that I have a lot of shortfalls um, and, and things that I could probably improve on. But um, for the most part, I mean, I, I kind of am who I am. And so, uh, you know, as a leader, I probably don't make all the best decisions, but I always make sure that I have my soldiers and their families at the forefront of my mind uh, in every decision that I make. So at the end of the day, I try to do the best I can. I love that. And I think that's that's something that I embrace a lot is about, again, the human. You're a human at homework and play. But mm-hmm. sometimes we feel like we have different priorities or we have different struggles between each one that we can't bring our full selves forward. So in your leadership, what have you learned about, in essence, like, not just talk, I know that you have the book about talking about your ghost in your past, but just talking about some of those things that sometimes it's like, oh, we don't mention that. We don't as mention, yeah, as a leader. Um, I think leaders have a hard time taking care of leaders. I mean, we're, we're great. Leaders are great at taking care of soldiers, but leaders suck at taking care of leaders. We, they think that we can balance it all and that they could take care of everything and that they're problem solvers and that they're in, invincible and, um, you know that everything's going to be okay and it'll they'll figure their stuff out later but ultimately we're we're human and uh you know we do suck at things and um 
you know, we have our shortfalls. And so I, I think uh, the, the weaknesses of leaders, cause you never want to see, be deemed weak as a leader. Uh, I think that's something that needs to be talked about more and mm-hmm. the more open you are with it, the more your, your soldiers, I think will really not just soldiers. I think any subordinate, um, no matter what, where in the workforce you are, um, will respect you more for it. Mm-hmm. And that makes me think of finding, knowing your strengths, but also knowing your weaknesses because in the aspect of mine, I always talk about consistency is something that I know that I can be weak at, especially if it doesn't have a person attached to it. So posting things on LinkedIn or being consistent with that or whatever it may be, um, like, ah, I'll get to it. But I know it's some things that some people value. So and I have to be consistent. So finding ways to compensate for it or finding people that are good at it to help. Um, so that makes me think of delegation. In the leadership side of it, too, which I know this is going a little bit off of what we were talking about, but I think it's really interesting because, one, I did not know that you taught leadership, so now we're going to a whole yeah. other level. Um, <laughs> sorry, y'all. But about the leadership, about delegation and ego and how those kind of play with each other, because I found a lot of times that people, it's very hard for them to lay down their ego. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. And so what have you seen What it, in your experience? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you, to be a successful leader, like I said, you kind of have to expose your own weaknesses. I mean, I was very open with my soldiers, what I sucked at, what I was weak at. And um, I would actually use those moments uh, as teaching tools for myself and the soldiers. So, you know, you got somebody like me who's been in the military for a decade. And I go to a soldier who may have more experience with, you know, say, working law enforcement. Uh, and they've only been in two years. Ultimately, on paper, I should know more than them when it comes to that. But just it's the way my career panned out. And so I, I had no, um, I, I was not nervous or embarrassed to go to a soldier like, yo, man, I don't know what this is. Like, can you, can you show me? And they were like, wow, my platoon sergeant, you know, feels like, or he, he, he's showing me that he's not like this um, big, scary guy who, uh, you know, knows everything. And then it's a moment for them to teach me. And it feels like they're giving back and they're teaching somebody and I'm teaching them at a young age, how to be a young leader. So it, it kind of just goes around. It's a vicious circle. that's. Um, is for the better. Yeah. And I agree on that because it's an interesting thing whenever, how much you can learn. But I know for me at first, I am always blessed to be around some really amazing leaders that yeah. are twice my age. And I actually joked about this because I talked with a, he's a psych guy that helps or mental skills guy that helps with um, one of the baseball teams professional baseball teams. And I was just chit-chatting with him and we were just we're talking about things and we learn from each other. And, it, and it's the thing is, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have behind your name. It doesn't matter. You can always learn from people. But sometimes as a younger person, I felt like I wasn't to their level. So I love that you come to them and, and that reciprocation of it, of being a mentor, mentee, and both everybody can learn from it. So how have, or how do you teach that in the work that you do? Um, well, so I teach a senior leaders course. So I'm dealing with a lot of staff sergeants who are about to be promoted to sergeant first class and become a platoon sergeant. And so they're currently squad leaders right now. They control anywhere between usually about 12 to 16 guys. Um, and they're going to get ready to become a platoon sergeant, which runs anywhere between 35 to 45 ish soldiers underneath them. And so um, and it's the first time they get partnered up with the with the commissioned officer. So as a platoon sergeant, you have a lieutenant that you work with hand in hand. And so that's a whole other realm of things that they need to understand to learn. 
And so during this course, obviously, we go over the institutional stuff, the regulational doctrinal material that senior leaders need to know. But we also share experiences. And usually I have 16 students and then me as the instructor. So there's 17 of us in there. Usually people have uh, have been in the military. Usually I've seen anywhere between uh, maybe eight to 18 years in that classroom. And each one of them walk, come from different walks of life and have been at different duty stations, different deployments, different parts of the world. And it's a two week, two months, excuse me, uh, course that we could all come together and I could take the 200 year plus experience that are floating within that room and share those experiences. And um, not, it's not just me being the instructor. Like I just, I'm more of a facilitator mm-hmm. and I go over the things that we need to go over. And I just, I use them as examples and I say, Hey, tell me about this. What did you learn? And then they get to share their experience. And it kind of just, like I said, it's a vicious circle. It works, it works itself out. And it's not just me up there just being a talking head and telling mm-hmm. them my way because my way may not always be the best. Um, if you ever get an email from me, it always says the kiss of death is to be the genius with 10,000 helpers instead be the genius with 10,000 geniuses. And I hear that so loud and clear with what you're saying right now yeah. and the importance of using that knowledge and in essence wisdom that has came from other people. So I do want to shift back on to the, your book and, and some of the things that you've written about as well. Because we've been talking a lot and we've been doing 21 days of gratitude for veteran suicide awareness. So mental health. Mm -hmm. And I know that your book was highly promoted in the aspect of speaking up about the reality that happens a lot of the times whenever you're overseas or when the war, the the ugliness of war that sometimes is not mentioned, you know, from the hero side. So if you could just talk about that for a minute, about. One, that impact, again, on leadership, but also the impact on just humans. And, and what have you received from this so far, from just listening? And from the book about or the... like feedback from people? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of veterans. Um, the, the thing with the book is I wanted it to be very raw and short. I didn't want to, you know, I'm not, I'm not General, you know, Miley. I'm not uh, General Petraeus. I'm not trying to create some new leadership philosophy that no one's ever heard of before. I don't feel like I'm that intelligent to speak on those parts and have yet that experience. But, uh, you know, what I know is what I know. And so I wanted to put my experiences on paper and, um, and I wanted to link, you know, current military people, most of our military now, a lot of our combat veterans have been getting out of the military or, um, you know, as time has gone on, the wars kind of died down, deployments are hard to come by. And so now you're, it's like, almost like Vietnam all over again. And you have a military full of fresh young faces, people who hadn't been to war. And the guys who uh, have been to war are, you know, higher up in rank and aren't interacting with soldiers anymore or are out of the military. And I wanted this book to be that link to continue to share that experience between, you know, our us, the war dogs and, you know, the, these future generation of soldiers that will, are going to be our future young leaders, uh, you know, the next upcoming years, <clears throat> as well as um, the civilian sector uh, and and linking, you know, the civilian community, to the military community, because I almost feel like. Uh, most of the civilian community, especially they don't have an interest in it, just don't pay attention and forget that we've fought the, you know, the country's longest war. And, and it's all, I've also received a lot of feedback from like, say, Vietnam vets, Gulf War vets, people who have served the country and they didn't really know. I mean, that was their war. This is ours. And they get to see kind of, I mean, we, we, I grew up watching World War II, Korea, Vietnam videos. I studied those things. I loved watching movies and stuff. And this was a chance for those veterans to look at a, a glimpse of our war and what the differences was. 
and um, kind of create a little bit of a bond between generations. That's awesome. And I, I think it's important too to be able to talk about the raw truths that happen with it. Because a lot of the times I think of some of my favorite things I love to watch, but it's very Holly, Hollywood fied or very, mm -hmm. it paints a pretty heroic picture. Yeah. But sometimes there's ugly in it. Um, there's suck in it. There's probably a lot of suck in it. Um, and that's the one thing that reading a lot of the comments and just hearing about it, that you talk about the real truth of it and you put the real, like you don't like sugarcoat it. And so how has that even been more of a connector for people being, being real and being honest? Because sometimes I've found military people, they, they don't because yeah. they feel like it's going outside the rank or, or it's going um, against what they've been taught. Like you don't, you don't make the army look bad, but I don't think it like, I know what you did did not like it made it look so much better, but yeah. some people might think that. So yeah. how do you go about that? I mean, especially me being active duty, I had to watch what I put in book. I mean, I'm, I'm still in the military and um, people forget that we don't have freedom of speech. Like I don't, I do not have freedom of speech. I gave my freedom of speech up the day I signed my contract that there's a point to it. It's so you know exactly what you're fighting for. And so when I can't go out and protest or I can't go out and say whatever I want about so so and such person are in our government or whatever the case may be, however I may feel. Um, it, it's those moments that uh, my contract makes me realize what exactly it is I'm fighting for so that all these other people can do that. And so when I'm writing a book like this, it's, it's very hard for me to, I have to watch, obviously watch my mouth, what I say. I have to make sure at the same time, I have to tell a story to the best detail that I can to um, recognize the individuals that I fought with without giving away any type of operational security that will put our future soldiers at risk, um, certain tactics, things that we do, um, you know, certain talking about certain equipment, things like that, because there's still soldiers that are in harm's way. And there's no reason that my book needs to, um, you know, cast the shadow over any of those guys who are still out there kicking indoors. So mm -hmm. it, it was hard to balance all of that. Um, and then obviously I had to go through a process to where my book had to go through an ethics review. It had to go through um, Central Command, who controls Iraq and Afghanistan for authenticity. And then it had to get approved by the DOD as well because I'm still active duty and everything had to get approved for, like I said, the authenticity and the classification and make sure it was all good. So it was a hell of a process, but it, it wasn't as bad as you'd think. It actually went by pretty quick. I think it was like two months or so. And you know, with everything the DOD has to do, it, it was actually a pretty quick turnaround. So, um, but yeah, so uh, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, that that does. And that's it's interesting, too. So I want if you if you feel led to uh, speak about a story in that whenever you realize that. Or when was the time that you realized it's I need to write this book moreover? When was it like <laughs> I need to talk about last this? November when I started? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like so for years, uh, for years, I had a lot of superiors of mine very generously tell me I need to write this book. And for years, I just denied it. And I just took it as a compliment. And I was like, No, I'm not gonna. Uh, I just like, I appreciate the words, but I don't feel like exposing or being so vulnerable of having all my information be put out there. It didn't make me feel very comfortable. Um, you know, I talk about it a little bit in the book. But um, the reason why they wanted me to write the book was because I was kind of given a unique situation. Like I said, I'm, a, I'm an MP by, by nature. Um, that, that is my job description. And as MPs, we're more of a combat support role. I mean, a lot of MPs have seen combat, I mean, quite a bit over the years. Um, and, and our functions have just changed at each war that has gone on. We've kind of 
changed our capabilities before in World War II, it was, you know, even George Washington, it was, we mounted the rear of the element and we just stayed away from the fighting and we made sure that the rear element was always protected. And then as the wars progressed, so did our functions. And then, you know, we're finding ourselves on the front lines. We're finding ourselves landing on the beaches of Normandy uh, and D-Day in, in World War II. Vietnam, we're finding ourselves in the jungle, closer and closer to the front line, defending, you know, the, the, these major battles. Um, and then Iraq and Afghanistan, there are no definitive front lines. It's you're just patrolling the country in this non-contiguous battlefield um, and, and the enemies all around you. And the next thing you know, we're finding ourselves in direct action with the enemy and our capabilities are almost, I don't want to say infantry because we're definitely not infantry. Infantry are amazing at what they do, um, but we, we find ourselves in these frontline battles so much regularly in Iraq and Afghanistan that our capabilities have changed. And so, um, you know, I say all that because, like I said, my first deployment, I got to Afghanistan and because prior to my first deployment, they sent me through like an EMT course, they made me a medic. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not a medic. I didn't join to be a medic. I'm an MP. And they were like, yeah, we don't care. Here's an A bag. And I was like, so I had to go work in the aid station and I'd go out on patrol as the medic, but I was still a MP by, 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 you know, by nature. And then same thing, my second deployment, our, our medic had to leave because he was having triplets. And obviously there's no reason for him to get killed and miss out on being a dad of three. So they sent him home. Uh, rightfully so. And and so I filled that role as a medic. And on top of it, they gave me an additional soldier as a spotter and they gave me a sniper rifle and they were like, go up in the mountains and like spot the enemy. Like I'm an MP. Like that's not, you know, so it was a very abnormal situation. Um, there there are other people who have had situations like that, but as as an MP, you just normally don't see that. And then I, I fought in some, some pretty big battles. Um, and I was awarded uh, two bronze stars with valor um, and, and a purple heart. And, um, you know, because of those awards, like I said, I was very young when I received them and I didn't like the vulnerability. People were talking the telephone game. Uh, people were like, oh, I heard this happen. I'm like, no, that, that, that's not true at all. People who weren't even there, you know. So it was very stressful back then to, to deal with the, the burden that those awards were on me. Mm. And so when it came time with people saying, hey, you should write a book. I was like, no, like, I don't I don't want any part of it. Um, and then I got here to Fort Leonard Wood and this is the first time I haven't had soldiers underneath me as an instructor. I'm by myself. And for the first time I've, I'm, I'm alone. And, um, I have noticed that with PTSD, um, it evolves to your situation. So before, when I was with my soldiers, we were going to the field, we were doing rotations. I was staying busy. My PTSD really didn't have a chance to, to muster in my head. I was constantly, you know, waking up at two 30 in the morning, going to bed at six or seven, waking back up. It was it was a go, go, go. But now here as an instructor, I have, I live in Dixon, Missouri. Uh, I have three acres. My next neighbor is like 300 meters down the road. Um, it's super quiet. And I just have all this time to think. And so I got here in August of last year and I what August, September, October, I made it three months. And I was like, okay, I'm going crazy because I have no one to talk to. I'm not busy at work. I'm getting off work at like two or three. Like, I don't know what to do with myself. And so somebody had mentioned again, you should write a book. And it, I kind of took a second glance at it and I was like, well, maybe if I put my pain on paper, it'll help me with the healing process. And so I did that. I opened up Microsoft Word and I just splurged everything within two months. It was done, ready to go. So I love that. Did it help in the healing process? And some people like, especially some family, my family, this, some of the stuff that was in the book was their first time hearing about it, mm -hmm. but they had known I had gone through some things. They just really didn't know the details. And some people were like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, are you, do you want to re-expose yourself to these things? 
And, you know, simple answer is that like, they were like, because I had, I, I, I rewalked, I had like a bunch of videos and pictures and of like dead bodies and firefights and, you know, nothing crazy as far as like uh, unethical, you know, it was all just documented that I wanted to, to keep, but I had to rewatch and relook at some of these things to remember, you know, the sights, the smells, some of those things I, ha I just haven't thought about in some time. And people were like, are you sure you want to expose yourself? And, you know, I had to just kind of tell them, like, you know, you got to understand, I, I see these things every day in my head. I wake up every day thinking Afghanistan, no matter what. So it's not new to me, um, you know, but yeah, it definitely ripped the Band-Aid off, you know, pretty quick as soon as I started typing. But I mean, ultimately, I, I do think it helped. And, and it, you know, honestly, what helped me more with the book was not writing the book and getting it on paper. It was the amount of feedback that I got mm -hmm. from friends, family, and people I don't even know that supported me. Cause I was so, I was scared shitless of putting it out there. <laughs> I, I, I did not want my, I, I, I remember like pressing the send button and letting it go. And it, it got out there. And once I knew that it was live for people to see, I was scared and I've gotten nothing but positive feedback and people were reaching out and taking the time out of the day to, to say just the littlest words. And it, it meant more to me than really anything. So. And I think that's the important part of it, too, is that what I've seen is in past, which mine's nowhere close. Mine is just I was a single mother and my, my journey of being a single mom. And it's the feedback that you get from people of knowing that you have stresses, you have struggles, like you're a real human. Like these, these are things that people actually have dealt with, but they never talked about because it's like, oh, can, can, can I say that? You know, it's going to. It's that vulnerability. And I love Brene Brown's work on vulnerability. With You can't have vulnerability without courage. And to step out to be able to say some of those hard things that a lot of people have lived through, but nobody has ever did anything about it. Nobody's ever said anything about it. So from that, that's one I do want to honor you and say thank you so much for your vulnerability because I know it has impacted lives. Just because the the stuff that I've seen, um, it has definitely impacted people. So thank you for that. And then also, obviously, thank you for your service. I want to talk back with what you talked about a little bit earlier about adaptability. Well, I heard adaptability in it, like how you were an MP and like you were you were everywhere, though. Yeah. How did that come about? Did you do you feel like you've always been adaptable or do you feel no. like? <laughs> no no I, I uh I was a very sheltered kid you know I was a picky eater my grandma my, gave me whatever I wanted I uh you know I didn't have a crazy childhood and I didn't have anything crazy that you know that drove me to the military I wasn't a troubled kid um you know I was just very sheltered and quiet I was a little altar boy at a Catholic church I you know I just played sports that was about the craziest thing I did was play football and stuff like that so um yeah, I don't know. I, but I think it's so true that a lot of people that I know that go into the military kind you of have no fit. choice once you're in. <laughs> so yeah. You have no choice. But but the Army is really good at, at generating leaders. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, at a young age, you know, I jo you joined 17, 18, 19 years old. And even, even the lowest private, uh, the lowest soldier gets thrown tasks on a daily basis and they need to just figure it out. Um, and, and, you know, when I made Sergeant, I was, I was in the military for two and a half years since, I mean, you count boot camp in that as well. Like, 
you, you figure two years really of being boots on ground and and i have sergeant stripes in my chest and i'm thinking in my head like what do i know honestly at two years and just in life to lead soldiers into combat i'm think i'm almost doubting myself but the army doesn't allow you to do that and they continuously throw difficult tasks and situations at you on a daily basis uh soldiers do that as well they they, they add stress into your life and um but they allows me to be a very adaptable leader because um, as soon as i make sergeant i got to be a psychologist i got to be a fitness expert i have to be uh you know all those things that a doctor uh, so all the soldier problems that are arise or things that happen in the field i need to be able to figure it out and so um, yeah, Army's really good at generating a very adaptable young leaders. They, even if we don't really recognize it, or if it's not put on paper by a degree, mm-hmm. you, you take any of us out into the civilian sector, even if we're not good at those things, we'll we'll figure it out. It's just what we do. And I think that's cool too, because I think that's a thing that you're. What I hear is from your book is not a traditional how do we deal with PTSD kind of style, but the adaptability to see and you have a lot of emotional intelligence. I can just read that easily. Um, but your ability to understand that you have emotions, we, somebody else may have something similar to it, you know, but to be able to be honest and open and, and to talk about it. So I am beyond grateful for you for, again, your service, your ability to put it on paper and to, to be vulnerable and open, the, the courage that comes with it. What would you tell people about the military or about war? Like if you could tell them anything, like what would you tell them? I mean, can we, can we break that down into a, like, like, what do you mean? Like, I mean, there's like, a lot to talk about war. <laughs> there, there is a lot to talk about. Cause it, it's like, I feel like there's a lot of misnomers that like, I don't even know about, like, and I don't, I don't know much about, um, but we just see, I have a lot of gratitude for you, but to put the reality back to it, that I know you see dark stuff. Um, I know one of my close friends, Joey Jones, he is on Fox News every now and then. Actually, every now and then. He's there a good bit. But he had his um, legs blown off. Mm. And it's like how he comes after it, you know, and he has so much. He's so positive and he's just. But there's dark stuff that happens with it as well. So some people aren't aren't as, as resilient. They're just it's hard to overcome. I mean, especially when I was a medic, I saw. I mean, you know, I, I dealt with, I had personally, I had 116 casualties under my belt that I worked on of those 116, 21 died under my care. And you remember their faces. Sometimes those 21, you're the last face they're ever going to see, you know? And yeah, I mean, you do see a lot of dark stuff. Uh, you know, you talked about a little bit at the beginning. Sometimes movies are very Hollywood. But sometimes Hollywood can't even get it right as far as how gory and gruesome and just downright dirty people can be to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I talk, I I give this example in the book. When I was a medic, I'll I'll just give you a small example. You know, we were a role two aid station, which meant that most of the casualties came to us before we shipped them out to the major hospital in Bagram. And I was in, we were the role too for the entire Northeastern part of the country that was bordered with Pakistan. And we used to get a lot of civilian casualties that would come in and we'd help them out every once in a while. There was a man that brought, I don't know, she was a toddler. She had been less than one, you know, years old. 
and she came in with burns on her legs like a like a boiling water kind of like he said that boiling water dropped on her legs uh you know she's under under it or whatever and so we evaluated her we gave her some pain medication for the burns and then the the doctor wanted to see her um i think like in a week or something like that to reevaluate her and so the guy left and he came back in a week and she had burns on her other leg now and like he's like yeah it happened again and he's like can you please help her or whatever and then you know we're talking we're evaluating and in our aid station we always had an interpreter with us because we dealt with a lot of local nationals and the interpreter a lot of the interpreters are pretty cool and they speak pretty good english and they they would tell us what people are really saying and stuff come to find out the guy was taking the child's medication just to get high on his own and mm -hmm. wasn't doing and so he was hoping they could just, he could burn the child on purpose and get pain medicine for himself and it's just like you know you see a lot of messed up things and that's not even combat related that's just a medical day daily thing so you just see like the worst in people um and so yeah it's hard it's hard to trust people and be resilient i when i came home i didn't fucking trust anybody i just, even americans i was like get everyone get away from me like this is ridiculous but it, it wears off after a while and i realized i shouldn't treat people like that because there's still a lot of great people in this world so but yeah it definitely it takes a toll on your on your psyche Mm -hmm. sure. And I think that's important to talk about too, is that how it can harden you. It really can, because mentally for you to do the job, it has, you, you have to get hardened at times yeah. um, so that you can survive through it in essence. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing that I love to talk about is fear and fear that you typically people say it's fight, fight or flight or freeze. There's actually more components to it. It's, there's one that's called care and connect. And so whenever you're in zones like that, how you can connect with your people. So you kind of, you may not have the resiliency, but you have a bond and a brotherhood or sisterhood yeah. or whatever that comes from that. How did that help you in the process as well? I mean, I was lucky that um, both my deployments, the the units I was in, I was, I was in platoons that were very close to one another. I, I think maybe there might've been like one or two guys that like, you know, we had roughs with, we didn't like whatever, but it didn't matter when, when the bullet started flying, like there's nothing that we wouldn't have done to take the bullet for one another. Like just the way it is, you know? So um, we were, we were really close and um, you know, we just hated seeing each other get torn up or, or, or hurt or, yeah. you know, even with things back home, you know, it was that brotherhood that kind of kept us together. Guys would get Dear John letters, they would get broken up with, and and, and we would be there for one another. Um, we had to embrace all of our personal problems that would, were happening back home, because although we're off fighting the war, you know, there's still a personal life that's going on. Like our families, our wives, our girlfriends, they're carrying on back home with their normal life. And so we have to deal with all these things at the same time. And yeah, that brotherhood you talked about, definitely it helped the daily struggles, you know, getting through. So, And I love that. And I think it, to wrap it up at the end right here, just I love that you talk about basically being a whole person and about how you, you connect personal with professional. And that is one thing that I, my goal is with this podcast is being unapologetically bold about who we are. We see dark things. We, we all have problems. And it's like, if you have somebody that says the world's all happy, I'm going to call you a liar because there's always something like I've never met somebody that doesn't have something jacked up. Like we all have something, but coming to it and having ability of an outlet, not to say exactly a counselor, but somebody to just be able to listen uh, with empathy. And I think that's a big skill with leaders. So 
I want to, again, commend you for everything that you've done. And my final question for this is people are apologizing for being themselves, for talking about their ghost or talking about things that happen that are more maybe uh, personal. What would mm-hmm. you tell them? Um, you got to let them out. The, you got to let those ghosts out the closet. You got to you have to share. I mean, that's the reason why my leaders, when they got back from Iraq, and I was a fresh private, they they were sharing, you know, their stories, their endeavors, their failures and successes of their war in Iraq. And I just applied that to Afghanistan because, I mean, at the end of the day, war is war. You know, the battlefield will change. The terrain might change. The weather will change. The enemy itself might change, but war itself will not, uh, the aspects of war. And so I had to apply that. And that goes with anything. I, I take just life lessons. It doesn't have to be combat related. Any life lessons, financial family struggles. And I, I, I teach my soldiers um, because there's no reason for me to have all this knowledge and experience in my head and not share it um, because that's how we create better generations after us is, mm-hmm. is that constant sharing of information. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wouldn't be where we are as a country if we just withheld every piece of experience and knowledge and didn't share it with our, our brothers and sisters. So we have to make sure we do that for the next generation so they can learn from our endeavors. I love that. And it makes me think of a uh, past guests that came on and the company works, they do it for seven generations from now and how we're living today for the next generation, but also the next and next so that we can be the best that we can be, you know, um, not that war will ever end, but in a theory that we're, as long as we, we can be our best selves and, and fight to the next day. So thank you so much, Sean. Um, if anybody wants to reach out to you, how can they, they get a hold of you? Yeah, I always check my messages, even in like my request box, because um, I always try to tell veterans to contact me if they need someone to talk to. But that goes for anybody, really. Um, but they can find me on Facebook, Sean Tobias Ambries, uh, S-E-A-N-T-O-B-I-A-S, and then last name's Ambries, A-M-B-R-I-Z. Um, they could also find me on Instagram, which is I'm, I'm kind of on a little bit more because I work with a lot of veteran companies and organizations. Um, but my Instagram is chief underscore pink mist. Um, and then, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn and all that stuff. Uh, and then my book is also on, um, Amazon Nook and Kindle. Um, it's titled ghosts of the Valley. Um, and then we're almost done with an audiobook, So it's going to be double narrated. I have a, I have a guy that has a really, really good voice and he's going to narrate the entire book. And as you actually read my book, there's a lot of italicized internal thoughts as things are happening in combat or whatever. I went and recorded all those. And so you actually hear my voice in the audiobook from his voice and then to me. So it's a little different. So. I love it. I'm excited for that. I'm, I'm an audiobook girl. So <laughs> y'all go check it out. Check out his book. If you like to read, if you like audiobook, just wait a little bit longer. But um, I know it's a blessing because it, you're open, you're honest, you have emotional intelligence, like you're real. Yeah. And oh. one day you're a hot human who is humble, open and transparent. So I am... And, and I- I do want everyone to know that, um, you know, I, so I'm not making anything off this book, right? My essentially, and I'm very, I'm very open, transparent with this. My publisher essentially gives me a dollar a book of sale. And most of my proceeds, like 90% of my proceeds are going to a foundation that was built for my lieutenant who was killed. Um, it's the Tyler Parton Foundation. So he was a West Point graduate. It's that, that he dies in one of the battles that's explained in the book, chapter five. Um, and so uh, I try to, I, I did not feel comfortable. And I told my publisher this, you know, had this been any like a leadership book, sure, I'll do what I can to, to take money so I could support my family. But I, I didn't feel comfortable 
um, getting really any majority of the proceeds because there's no reason I should take credit for someone who died or really other people who are involved. Um, that just wouldn't be right. So I just want people to know that it is going for a good cause when they every time they purchase a book. <laughs> now people are just going to buy it and not even read it. I don't care. Like I'm just going to go give you money. <laughs> so. No, I, I want them, I want them to read it because I I want them to know LT's story. I want them to understand who he mm -hmm. was and, and the sacrifices that you know he gave us all of his tomorrows. So <sighs> we can learn his name. So good. Um, thank you. You're awesome, Sean. I am blessed beyond measure. Um, continue your work because it, it it makes a difference. And everybody that's listening or will listen later on the podcast, um, thank you for tuning in. Have an amazing and blessed day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.